Well, welcome everybody. It's great to see you this weekend. Uh, I wanted to uh, mention something to you before we um, jumped all the way into our conversation this weekend, and that is uh, to extend an invitation to you to be a part of a discovery group. So uh, what discovery groups are is if you uh, feel like you're ready to like connect at Grace on like a little bit of a, of a, a bigger way, if you're looking and saying, like, I'd, I'd like to meet some people, I'd like to get connected with some of the pastors a little bit, and I'd like to maybe know the backstory of Grace, uh, Grace Church. If, if you're looking and saying, I think it's, you know, I've been here a while, kind of checking stuff out, like, I think it's time for me to maybe do that, it would interest me, that's what Discovery Group does. Uh, so the first week I'm there, I, I kind of walk us through that, that first gathering. It's a great, I like meeting you and like getting connected to you those ways. And then from there, we get you connected into like groups of folks that are, it's led by one of the other pastors. And it just, you come out of there with friendships, you come out of there kind of knowing people, and you come out of there with the ability to, uh, to navigate through the church a little bit. So I wanna invite you to do that. We also bribe pretty blatantly with Chipotle, so I'm just saying, it'll be there. Uh, but I'd, I'd love for you to do that. It's, it's a really healthy step for you. Um, if you're ready to make it. So if you're not, that's cool, but if you are, that's a great pathway and would really encourage you to take advantage of it. And the next one's coming up here in a couple weeks. Uh, so check out the app, look at the weekly, and, uh, and you can sign up for that there, okay? All right, we've been in a series here this last couple of weeks called What We're Known For, and uh, what we've been talking about, and, and actually the, kind of the, the reason I wanted to do this series is, is we've been talking about getting Jesus' perspective on the world around us. And I wanted to do this series because I think we're struggling with that, right? So there's all this massive change that has happened that nobody knows what to do with. So the government, the schools, you, the church, like nobody knows what to do with it. And the reason I think it's important to stop and try and take a hard look at this stuff is because if, if we don't look at kind of the change in the world and the culture around us, the view of it we will have will be very personalized. And it will be contextualized basically on what's happening to me and do I like that or not. And if you are a Christ follower, the, the, the Bible would teach us that God really wants us to have a different view and a much broader view of that. Like what's happening kind of on an eternal scale and as a Christ follower, how do I interact with that? What would God want me to know and, and what would he want me to know about what he's doing? And so we've been talking about that here the last few weeks. And uh, we said that in order to translate all of that correctly, what we have to start with is actually our interaction with Jesus. That if I'm not closely interacting with Jesus, if he's not defining and directing my life, uh, if his heart isn't driving my heart. The Bible would use words like this, say, renewing my mind, transforming my heart. Like if that's not happening, then I'm always gonna view the world through the lenses of myself. But when I allow Jesus to work in me that way and I walk kind of closely with him, what happens is his vision for the world will become my vision for the world. Like he'll swap that out and I'll start to see people around me the way that he sees people around, around me, right? So. 
How does Jesus view the world? The Bible is like super easy, clear about that. Uh, One of the clearest places you can find that is in Matthew chapter nine. He says to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So Jesus would look and say, how I view the world is I am doing things in the world and that harvest are people who need to know me. It's just a metaphor that, that Jesus uses. And I'm stirring up like the soil of their heart. And a lot of times when we go through major changes or what some sociologists call a cultural convulsion, when we go through a major change, what God is doing is he's stirring or breaking that soil up in big, big ways. And that's what's happening right now. In fact, I just read a stat recently because I'm a nerd and I like stats. And um, the stat said that 30 to 40% of people said they're more open to talking about spiritual things than they were three years ago. Why? Well, because our life is thrown up. And so suddenly I'm thinking about things, I'm, things are dislodged, I'm in different rhythms, I'm in different habits. And Jesus would look and say, right, I do that. that that's me, like kicking up dust with the harvest. And that's important to know because a lot of times what we would view as a cultural collapse, Jesus views as a ripening harvest. He's like, I didn't lose control. I'm not, things aren't spinning crazy. Things aren't happening to you. I'm working. And when you look out and see people in that process, I want you to see them as I see them. They're more ready to talk about me and to know about me than maybe they have been in the past. So we've been talking about that last couple weeks, and last weekend, uh, I opened up, I said, this is gonna be like part one of a conversation, this weekend we're gonna have part two. And last weekend I said, for the Christ follower, what that means, for us to go into his fields, what that means is, is that we go out and we connect with people who don't know Jesus, and we do it all through relationships, and what we try to do is we try to help make Jesus make sense. This is the way we say it here at Grace. I wanna help Jesus make sense to those folks. And we said, in order to do that, I have to understand who they are. And so we talked about this last week. We talked about this spectrum that when you look at all the people in the world, if I was gonna break it down as simply as I could to reflect Jesus' mind, that Jesus would look and say, there are people who freely follow me So people who look and say, I recognize how God views me and I agree with what God says about me and what he says about himself. So I'm a sinner, I've fallen away from God, Jesus is my savior, he's my only savior and I ask for the forgiveness of my sin and I want to give my life to understanding who Jesus is and making that what drives me, what defines and directs me, or I'm giving my life, another way to say that is I'm giving my life to allow the gospel to disrupt me. When I find out that there's something in my life that doesn't align with Jesus's heart, I want to change because I want to align my heart with Jesus's heart. And so that's different than being religious. That's different than going to church. That's different than like growing up and getting your act together. That's I'm following Jesus and I'm, I'm pulling in Jesus into my heart because I want to. I'm freely following him. That's one extreme. We said the other extreme of people on the planet are people who resent Christ. And so they would look and say, I don't, your God and your morality and your truth and your thing, like I, I hate that. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm upset that you even bring it up. It annoys me. And there are people that the Bible says harden their heart and God sears their conscience and they're over here and they're like, I'm, I'm anti-Jesus. 
And when Jesus talks about the lost, it's a metaphor, or the harvest, he's actually not necessarily talking about these folks. They are lost. They do need to know Jesus. He doesn't withhold his love from them. But he's not looking at people here saying, you need to go change those people's minds. So Jesus is never like, hey, you guys, you know what would really help these people out? Some really good Instagram posts, right? That, that's, that's never a thing. So he's not saying, you people argue with your, you, these people over here. Jesus would look at his followers and he would say, leave this up to me. And if I wanna involve you, I'll involve you relationally, but leave this up to me. Where I want you to go and the people that I want you to focus on are what he calls the lost or the harvest. And we looked at that last week and we said lost people uh, come in like three different types, so to say. Jesus talks about this in the book of Luke chapter 15. There's some people who are lost because they have wandered They don't recognize their need for God. They're doing their thing. They're figuring stuff out. They're exploring all kinds of ideas. They've wandered, and we said wandering is fun until it's not. It's fun until the car breaks down, and now you're stuck, right? And the Bible says when something wanders and gets in trouble, Jesus, our shepherd, comes and rescues that person, and he rejoices when that person has to be rescued. The second thing that, the second way people get lost is they're dropped. They're forgotten about. They've been abandoned. They've been abused. They've been oppressed. People have used them. There's all kinds of wounds in their life. And we said, when you've been dropped, you have a terrible time trusting anybody. And the Bible would draw this picture or tell the story of Jesus looks for people who've been dropped. He searches for them. And the biggest act of faith that someone who's been hurt has to do is they have to take the hand of Jesus when he reaches down for them. And that's scary to trust again. But that person is lost. And then the third example of somebody who's lost is somebody who left. I was at a, uh, in a loving home, so to say, and I left it and I went away. And I thought it was gonna be fun, but life blew up. And I come to my senses and I remember, like, who, I remember who loved me. And I go back to the people who love me. And the Bible says, Jesus says, when somebody does that, Your heavenly father runs and grabs you. He actually doesn't ask you to clean your life up. He doesn't ask you to get your your act together. You can be smelling like a pig pen and and looking like a pig pen and he'll still run and wrap his arms around you and then he'll heal you, he'll change you, he'll restore you. And so Jesus looks at these people and he says, I want you to look at these people. These people kind of leave to me. These people, that's who I want you to go to and that's how I want to interact with you, okay? So that was part one. So part two, um, I want to talk about this weekend and I want to talk specifically to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, right? So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, what our conversation this weekend is going to do is it's going to make Jesus' people make sense to you a little bit. It's going to make Jesus' heart make sense to you a little bit. And you're gonna understand what he is telling your friends and family, what, what he wants them and how he wants to interact with them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what I wanna do is I wanna help you see Jesus' heart and then I want, you to, I want you to see what it means, how it plays out practically to go into that harvest field or to reach to, to lost people, okay? So we're gonna look at this a little bit. We're gonna talk about why it's hard to, to look at the lost or go to the harvest. What role do Christ followers play? 
what do we do when we're there, and what are we supposed to, to look for, okay? So let's talk about why it's hard here for a minute. The reason why it's hard sometimes for Christ followers to enter into the harvest field and to build the relationships there and to reach out to lost people is because in order to do that, we have to learn to live in attention. We have to learn to live in attention. And it's attention that Jesus lived in and exists in when he came to earth. And we're gonna have to do the same thing. So this is what the Bible says, all right, about Jesus. The Bible says, John chapter one, the word, the word is just another name for Jesus, right? So the word, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So Jesus leaves heaven, comes down to the planet. When he's in heaven, everything is perfect. No sin, no nothing in heaven. And that's how Jesus had always existed to that point. He steps out of heaven, puts skin on, comes down to earth. But when he came down to earth, he came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth defined him when he came down to earth, okay? Now, what is grace and truth? So let's just talk about this for a second. So grace is God's undeserved favor. God's undeserved favor. So when you think about Jesus's grace in your life, the kind of the category that you would think about that in a little bit is this. You would think about Jesus's love, Jesus's mercy, Jesus's forgiveness, and Jesus's like patience. It's kind of the category that you would think of God's grace in your life. And every one of those things that Jesus gives to us, he gives to us because he wants to. Those things cannot be earned and he is not obligated, right? So the love of God cannot be earned. It can only be given. Love can only be given, it cannot be earned. The patience of God is something that's given. It cannot be earned. The forgiveness of God. God is never like, you know what? If you would go to church 15 times a week and pray more and say this thing, the, the patience of God, the forgiveness of God has to be given. It cannot be earned. And the mercy of God is given. It cannot be earned and it cannot be purchased. So if you thought about grace and you were kind of thinking about it like, the, like categories of things that would kind of fit in that grace, it's all of that. It's God looking at you and saying, I love you because I decided to love you. Did you do you love me because I go to church a lot? Nope, nope, not, not at all. Lots of people are more religious than you. And, and I, I don't love you more or less because of that. Do you love me because I'm sinless? Nope, because you're not sinless and the fact that you think that you are is arrogant and there's a sin. So like, nope, I don't love you because you're sinless. Do you love me because I'm moral? Nope. I, I love you because I chose to love you. And my grace I pour out in your life because I chose to pour out in your life. So Jesus came to earth full of grace. He came to earth because he wanted to. He made his home among us because he wanted to. He offered his life on the cross for you and me because he wanted to do that. He's full of grace, okay? So the Bible says he's full of grace and then the Bible says he's also full of truth. Now, when you think about truth, think about this kind of like categorically a little bit where things would fit. Truth is tied to God's unchanging nature. So the Bible says that God never 
changes. So what is true about God is true about God and it's always been true about God and it is true because God says it's true. So he has an unchanging nature. So if you're gonna put things kind of in that category, you would think a little bit about God's holiness. Jesus is completely holy. His holiness, his splendor is overwhelming. God told Moses at one time, he said, Moses, if you looked me in the eye, I'd kill you. Like you cannot even imagine my holiness. That's true of God. Uh, God's justice is part of his truth. His justice is perfect and unfailing. Every injustice on planet Earth will be held to account. Everyone. Because God is just, right? God is righteous. What God says is right is what is right. Right? So what God says is right is what is right. So we might think of something as fair or unfair or bent towards something, and God's like, no, I'm, I'm righteous. What I say is right is, is always right. And what I say is true, regardless of your opinion or your feedback, is true. I, I am full of integrity. So I, I cannot be wrong. There is not a weak point because I am the definition of those things, okay? So Jesus comes to earth and he's full of grace and he's equally full of truth, and then he comes to earth in love, and it shows up in this, his relationships. His relationships with people who are lost or who live in the harvest. And he was always in this tension, right? Where somebody would come, a woman would come to a well, she had you know, married five times, living with a guy, and he's like, I love you, I'm patient with you, I'm willing to forgive you, and you have to go and sin no more. Uh, this guy over here looking for Jesus, climbs a tree, finds him, Jesus is like, I love you, I love that you're searching for me, um, you need to return what you have stolen. And who, people interacted with Jesus all the time. He was with sinners all the time. He was a friend of sinners. Notorious sinners, the Bible says, would like have lunch with Jesus. They wouldn't hide their beer, they'd offer him one. And, and he would hang out with them. And it, the religious people freaked out. And so sometimes he'd look at the relig religious people and he'd be like, you know what? You're really, really self-righteous. You need to be full of grace. And he would live in this tension all the time and if I, as a Christ follower, am gonna love the lost and go into the harvest field, I'm gonna to have to live in that tension too, right? Now, let me show you how this works. This is a really, really cheesy illustration, but you're gonna remember it. And we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on this, right? So we have a good 50 cents wrapped up in this illustration, okay? Think of this as yourself. Think of this rubber band as grace and this rubber band as truth and think of the frame as love, right? Love. So I'm gonna go into a relationship and what the primary drive of that relationship, I am to love my neighbor. I love God, I love my neighbor as myself. And I want to love someone who is lost. They have wandered, they've been dropped, they've walked away. And I want to love them as God has loved them. When I go into those relationships, what happens is this. Sometimes what's needed in those relationships is grace. And as I try to serve God and follow God, I'm gonna feel that grace 
stretched about as far as I feel like I can get it stretched. I'm going to look at somebody and I'm going to look at their lifestyle and I'm going to look at how they've identified and I'm going to look at how they talk about me and how they talk about my church and how they talk about my Lord. And my, what I need to give them is patience and I need to give them forgiveness and I need to give them mercy because we do not see eye to eye and I'm going to have to, it's going to take everything that I can do within love to be as graceful as I can be, but I want to be full of grace. There's other relationships of people that I'm trying to love, and what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to stretch, and I'm going to have to bring truth into the relationship. Somebody, nobody will say it. Somebody's going to have to look and say, listen, you're addicted. Listen, you're, you're blowing your family up. Listen, I, I, I know what you feel, but it's not true. Listen, there is, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And depending on the relationship, I'm always gonna be pulled back and forth in this tension. And depending on the person that I'm trying to love, sometimes that, that defines which one of these attributes comes to the forefront first. Sometimes I lead with grace, and sometimes I lead with truth, and I'm always gonna feel like I'm wrestling with these two things, okay? So in order to reach the lost, or to go in the harvest field, as a Christ follower, I'm gonna have to grab hold of truth. And I'm gonna have to grip that, and I'm gonna have to, the Bible say things like, stand firm, you know, Protect yourself with this piece of spiritual arm. I'm gonna hold to the truth. While I'm holding to the truth, I'm gonna hold to grace. Love as you've been loved. Forgive as you've been forgiven, right? Love your enemy as yourself. I mean, it's like, and I'm gonna have to, with all of my spiritual strength, so to say, be full of both of these things, right? Now, I want you to catch this. The temptation when trying to make Jesus make sense, and these are from, this is good-hearted Christ followers who want to love people. The temptation, ready, is to let go of one of those. Because if I let go of one of those, it pulls the tension out of my life. If, if I have a propensity toward grace, and a lot of times what, what dot defines this is our personality and our life experiences. So my personality, you know, I'm an Enneagram nine, I'm just a peacemaker, can't we all get along? And plus, I grew up in a home where somebody was always yelling at me and I hate it. My tension or my temptation is to say, you know what, I hate this tension what I wanna do is I want to separate grace from truth, ready? And whenever I separate grace from truth, I swing outside of love. It's not loving. It's not loving for me to look and say, whatever you think you are, you are. That's not loving, because it's not true. It's not loving for me to enable someone. You know what, you know how 
You know how he is. He just got a temper and it's not loving. It's not loving for me to say, I hate tension, therefore I will never live in it. And what could happen, even in kind of the name of loving people, I can let go of truth because I'm trying to be nice and they're gonna view me as hateful and I'm trying to build a relationship and they won't talk to me if I do. And I will give up truth in the name of grace and when I go all grace all the time, so to say, I swing outside of love. Now, some of us don't struggle with that if you're like me. I don't struggle with truth because I'll be honest with you, this is confessions, I, I don't mind a good fight. It kind of is a way for me to blow off steam. You wanna argue? Let's argue. Let's argue a lot. So my temptation, honestly, is not usually to let go of grace. My temptation, honestly, is usually to let, or not to let go of truth. My temptation is usually to let go of grace. And I'll swing the truth And when I swing to truth, I move outside of love. I'll tell you what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? I'll tell you what the Bible says. I know the Bible inside and out. My fancy name's Dr. Bogue. How much do you want me to beat you up with Bible verses? Oh, you got another Bible verse? I'm gonna annihilate you with all of my knowledge. And I'm gonna talk about your sin. And then I'm gonna talk about your sin some more. And when I'm done talking about your sin some more, I'm gonna make sure that I email you about it. And since nobody under 50 emails anymore, I'm gonna put it up on Instagram. I'm gonna let everybody know what God thinks about what everybody else is doing. And I'm gonna beat the snot out of you with truth. False truth? Nope. Straight out of the book, truth. And I can tell you correct truth about God devoid of love. In fact, if you're really good at it, the fact that somebody can't receive direct truth devoid of love affirms in your mind that they're rejecting truth. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's full of both. And he lives, so to say, in that tension. And he looks at his followers and he says, guys, you want to love lost people? That's the way that's going to work. That's the way that's going to play out. And it played out that way in your life, still does. Because I speak the truth to you. And we all know about your personal life and your secret life and your private life and your thought life. So there's a whole bunch of grace whole bunch of mercy, whole bunch of patience. And in order to love the lost, like Jesus does, I grab hold of truth, I grab hold of grace, and I hang on. And it's going to create a tension in my life. That's why if you came to me and said, Jeff, how do we share our faith? I would look at you and say, who are you trying to share it with? Well, can't you, can't you have a class for us? Well, no. Isn't there a book? No. Aren't there four spiritual laws? I, I'm pretty sure there's more than that, but no. Who are we talking about? And what are they like? And what's their struggle? And where's their pain? And what do they need to know about Jesus? 
Because the first thing they need to know about Jesus may not be their sin. They may have been dropped. They may just need to know Jesus loves them and you can trust that and that's all they need to know. They may, they, they may be beating themselves up for their sin because they, they can't break their addictions. And they need to know that Jesus is patient and merciful. Or maybe they need to know truth. What truth do they need to know? Well, that they're living in sexual sin. I think they know that. I think that point's been made. What other truth do they need to know? And until you're talking about people and you're talking about individual lives, you don't often know exactly how to bring grace and truth into life. That's why you don't categorize this group and categorize that group. You enter into the harvest field, right? Now, as a Christian then, if I'm a Christ follower, and if, 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 we, if we agree on point one, like, okay, Jeff, I got your attention. What do I do? How do I go about doing that? Well, the Bible helps us with this too. How do we enter into that harvest field? The Bible say we enter in as ambassadors. Ambassadors. And this is the Apostle Paul described it so well. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I want you to see these words, right? Whose ambassadors are we? We are Christ's ambassadors. What appeal are we making? His appeal. We're speaking for him. So as a Christ follower, when I come in and I'm interacting with somebody about Jesus, I am speaking for Christ making his appeal. I'm not speaking for Jeff making mine. The message is the message of Jesus. And Jesus' message is very, very unadulterated. It's actually very, very simple. His appeal is very pure when you take it down to its baseline. Uh, The place that you can see his appeal most clearly in the Bible is probably in the two most familiar verses in the whole Bible. John 3, 16 and 17, Jesus' words, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. The appeal of Jesus is very, very pure. There is, ready? There is no prerequisite for following Jesus. Jesus does not say, God gave his only son to the world that whoever stops drinking, that whoever is straight, that, that whoever is in this political camp, that whoever doesn't have this bad habit, that whoever finally got their act together, that whoever believes in him, believes what? In his salvation. What about all the other stuff? That's not a prerequisite. All the other stuff is a response to Christ's love in our life, not a prerequisite to receive Christ's love in our life. And Jesus goes on, the Bible goes on and says, I just want you to be clear, God, the son didn't come to judge the world. 
The son didn't come to beat the world up with truth. He didn't look and say, uh, you know what, that you're a sinner. You're, you're, a real, you're a very bad sinner. You're the worst sinner. You are a disgusting sinner. I mean, I can't believe you did that. Oh my word, you're not even allowed in the church. He didn't load it up. So Jesus says, as an ambassador, I'm giving Christ's message as if he's the one giving it, and that message is pure. It's pure, right? That message is this tension. So you're saying God loves me and will forgive me? Yeah. So there's no such thing as a hell? No. So you're saying God, God believes in me and created me? Yeah. So I can... I, it, I can believe whatever I want to believe? No. And it's a tension. It's difficult. It, it's, it's messy. But the appeal of Jesus is looking at a person and saying, did you know that there's a God who loves you? And let me tell you about his grace and let me tell you about his truth. And when you watch Jesus do that, that's what he did. He was meeting people wherever they were. If they needed a little, you know, knock on the head with some truth like Nicodemus the Pharisee did, Jesus gave them a little bit. If they needed his arms around him, like Mary Mag, like, like a woman who was demon-possessed did, he, depending on who he was interacting with, the grace or the truth, so to say, would come forward as the first expression of his heart. And it's fascinating that when you look at Jesus, his appeals were always individualized. He would look at a person. He'd be like, you need healing. Did you know, let me tell you something about Jesus. I'm a healer and I love you. You need freedom. I, you know what, I'm the, I'm the author of it. And I love you. You need like, your, your theology, your thoughts about God straightened out. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am the one. You need direction. You know what? I'm the way. See? And he was looking at individuals. He didn't go out with a mass marketing appeal. He didn't have one set of things that he said to everybody. He lived in the tension of grace and the tension of truth, always wrapped in his love. And he brought this pure message of his heart and his mind to whoever he interacted with, okay? That's what he calls his followers to do. Now, that's a big conversation. And you take this conversation, if you missed last week, go listen to it. I really encourage you. And all of a sudden, I think you can get an understanding of God's perspective on what's going on in our world and how his followers are interact with it. But I want to take that big conversation and I want to bring it down and I just want to like put handles on it, right? So it makes sense. So what should we do, right? What do we, so I'm an ambassador, got it. Tension, got it. What am I supposed to do? H how do I go and help make Jesus make sense to the world around me, right? So here's some just practical ways to do this. Ready? Number one, what am I supposed to do? Embrace the messy tension, Embrace the messy tension. Guys, listen, Christ followers, listen. Especially if you grew up in church, really listen to me. Quit looking for a method and start looking for a person. 
Quit looking for a method and start looking for a person. Embrace this messy tension. Well, am I supposed to be in here? Am I supposed to say this? I'm like, I, yeah, that's rough. Rough. And this is where like being in relationships or biblical community is what we call it here at Grace. Being in relationships with each other having those conversations with, with other friends that know and follow Jesus, sitting down with your pastors, your life group leader sometimes, like that is, it is messy. And if it's not messy, you're probably not doing it. So it's okay to live in that tension and live in that mess. Just embrace it. And God will have to steer you through it, okay? Here's the second thing I wrote down, ready? Live like Jesus, Ready? Sharing your faith does not sound like a sales pitch. If you died tonight, what would, that's not sharing your faith. That's a sales pitch. Did you know there are four spiritual laws? There's a road in Romans that you have to, if you're familiar with that stuff, you're a church nerd, and, and you know what I'm talking about. That, that's not what sharing your faith is. Sharing your faith is gonna play out mostly in friendship. Being a faithful friend whose life is devoted to Jesus. That's it. It, it, it. Sometimes it's helping somebody. Sometimes it's living with somebody. So, sometimes it's having the deep conversations. There's a thousand ways, but it plays out in friendship, right? And sharing your faith sounds a lot more and plays out a lot more like sharing your life. If you're my friend, if you're my real friend, you know certain things about me, right? So, so you know I love Heidi. I, that girl, 31 years later, still just does something for me. Like, I think she's amazing. You know I love my children. You know I love Ohio State. You know I don't like cats, right? You know that I love Jesus. This is who I am. So I don't have to go and tell a friend that I love Jesus, by the way, I hate to break this to you, but the pastor talked about it. Um, I'm a Christian. If that's shocking news to somebody around you, then we're doing it all wrong. This is who I am. And me being an exceptional friend, a dedicated friend, a sacrificial friend, a loving friend, a spiritual friend, that's gonna make Jesus make way more sense than some kind of a sales pitch. If you know why you accepted Jesus, you know everything that you need to know to tell somebody else about him. So live in the mess, live like Jesus, and then a thing we do here at Grace Church is we talk about praying for your three, pray for your three. This is what I encourage you to do if you haven't done it or if you need to re revive it. We always say this, uh, you should think of three people that you're friends with, three people that you know and love, and what you should do is you should start to pray for those three people every day by name. It is not your job to get people to love Jesus. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God does that. He draws people to repentance. You don't have to do that. But to pray for somebody, not in an agenda, but through friendship. Because if I love you, I'm gonna love your heart and I'm gonna want you to know Christ. If he's the most important thing to me, I want him to be the most important thing to you. And so we just encourage you to pray for people. 
and pray for three people every day by name. And what will happen, you'll be shocked. When you start praying for people every day by name, you know who will change the quickest in that process? You will. You will. You will wrestle more with the tension between grace and truth the more that you pray for your friend because you want to be in their life and you want to love them and you want them to know who Christ is and you want them to know Christ loves them. You're the one that'll change. And God will start to work in their life too and he will draw them to him, right? And then when the time is ready, you tell them who Christ is. Well, how do I know the time's ready, Jeff? When do I know that, it, that I should share my faith, tell them a story? And we say this, just look for the no-brainer moment. This comes right out of the Bible. The, you have to read it in the Greek to get no-brainer, but here it is in the Bible, right? Instead, you must worship Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Ready? I'm gonna let you off the hook. Ready? Don't tell anybody about Jesus till they ask. That's why Christians have a bad reputation is we're like creepers when it comes to telling people about Jesus. If you die tonight, would you go to heaven? It's like, what? I don't even, what, I'm sitting on a plane, leave me alone. Like, this is creepy, how do I get off of here, right? Do you know the four spiritual laws? Like, ah, get off my porch, right? right? It's, it's creepy. It would be creepy to you if you weren't used to it. Right? So I'm going to be a friend. I'm going to pray for my friend. And when they decide to ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. When they drop the subject, I'm going to drop the subject. I'm going to pray, see if God will bring it up again. Right? Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Right? Telling people about Jesus is not the hard part. Catching me? Look at me. Telling people about Jesus is not the hard part. Loving people like Jesus is the hard part. Telling people about Jesus is not the hard part. In fact, we make it the hard part and we excuse ourselves from telling them. Telling people about Jesus is the hard part. <laughs> Loving people like Jesus is the hard part because it's hard to love people. It's hard to go through life. It's hard to be a faithful friend. It's hard to be a faithful family member. It just, it just is because I don't always know what to do. I don't always know how to react. When my friend is blatantly offending the truth of God, I'm not always sure how to extend grace. I'm not. And Jesus would look at his followers and said, I just, I'm more interested in you loving them I'll do the work. And when they ask the question, you answer it. And I go into the harvest field and love them and be a friend and be a faithful friend, be the best friend they could ever have. And when I decide to do that work, you'll recognize that. And I'm the one who will, the Bible says, will finish that work to bring it to completion, right? All right. Guys, I think this is a big deal. I really do. And I think um, 
what happens. I don't, I think life happens. And I don't think we wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm not gonna care about the loss anymore. I, I, there's very few people that do that. If you've done that, we should really talk. I don't think that's the situation. I think what happens is um, I'm under a deadline at work and I'm thinking about that instead of my coworkers. I gotta figure out how to pay for school this semester. And I'm thinking about that instead of the people I'm sitting in class with. And I've got kids and somehow they've taken over my life. And I'm thinking about that instead of the people I'm standing and watching the soccer game with. And the coach told me to perform and I'm thinking about that instead of the guy that I lined up next to. So we, we tend to, if you, if you love Jesus and you're like a good-hearted person, we tend to drift into callousness, right? I just felt like it was so important to focus on that for a minute. And the red flag, if you're a Christ follower, the red flag that God sometimes waves for us is when we resent the harvest and we're bitter about the harvest and we're angry how the harvest is messing our life up and the harvest is changing things and the harvest is such a difficult roommate to live with and and that actually has nothing to do with the harvest that has to do with me and my relationship with Christ and it's a flag that Christ is not actually defining and directing me because I'm, I'm actually not loving people the way that someone controlled by Jesus would love them. Does that make sense? Would you pray with me for a minute? Jesus, would you help us with this? God, and would you help us by drawing us close to you? Obedience is a response to love. It's not how we earn love. It's not what we're obligated to. God, but we obey you because we love you, because we want to love you and we want to love like you love, and so you help us know what to do. And one of the things that you help us to know what to do that we wouldn't naturally do on our own is to go to the harvest field. So God, when that becomes an obligation or a void, God, would you fill our hearts with your love in a new way? And let us see the world, our friends, through your eyes. On these still moments, God, more than inspiring us to go do something, would you draw us close to you and just change us to be more like you?